Warning! Deep Fix contains adult content and language. So if you don't touch processed foods but eat gummy bears, this may not be for you. And now, Deep Fix. Hello, and welcome to Deep Fix, where we're getting a fix of all of our favorite obsessions. I'm your host, Jen B. And this season, we're going back to the beginning where it all started with a breakdown of the epic Real Housewives of New York City, seasons one through three. And this episode, we're breaking down season two, episode four. If you don't have anything nice to say, now let's get our fix. So before we get into our breakdown of the episode, we have to talk about some of the comments that have been swirling around the internet about who put the housewives on the map for Bravo. Was it the Real Housewives of Orange County? Was it Real Housewives of New York City? Was it the Ladies of Atlanta, the Table Flip in New Jersey? There's been a lot of discussion. So if we're being honest, we've got to give it up To the ladies of OC, the Orange County Housewives, they started it all. They were the first, really for two seasons, the only Housewives. But when you turn to Roni, you do see that that show was the prototype for the Housewives franchise that we know and love today. Remember, they weren't going to be the real Housewives of New York City when they first were filming. They were going to be the Manhattan Moms, a show about the wealthy New York elite and their troubles trying to get their children into school because of how crazy the whole education system in New York City is. But before Roni aired, they decided it was going to be the second in the Housewives franchise. And that became the Roni that we know and love. Recall, even though the OC Housewives did have two seasons before Roni ever aired, things like the reunion as we know it with Andy sitting in the middle, the two couches on either side, that whole format, Roni was the prototype for it. It did not exist in the Real Housewives of OC until Roni did it. Ramona was the first reunion walk-off when she was disgusted with Alex's nude pic. Recall, I mean, we've, we've discussed it. Feel free to go back to our episode going over the season one reunion. Then we also had the skinny girl launch and all of the product placement and the wives getting wise to the fact that they should be promoting their businesses and ventures. That, of course, started with Bethany and started on the Real Housewives of New York City. There's even the Bethany clause in all of the Real Housewives um, contracts moving forward, where if you produce anything on the show, they own a portion of it. And of course, the Bethany Jill drama, the Bethany or the Jill Ramona drama, all of that season three, Scary Island. It was so fantastic. And the reason why we loved it was because it was real. It was authentic. It was not set up for the show. It wasn't overproduced by either the star of the show or the production. Or even worse, it wasn't a fake fight generated by some desperate housewife who's trying to stay relevant. And to be honest, if Real Housewives of New York City was a total flop, I don't know if Bravo would have continued to invest in the franchise. And then we wouldn't have gotten Atlanta, New Jersey, Beverly Hills, Dallas, Miami, Potomac, Salt Lake City. If you've been sleeping on Salt Lake City, don't. But of course, that's not to say that they all didn't play a part in putting the housewives on the map, because in all reality, 
they all played a part. The OC ladies were the first. They put it on the map. Roni is the prototype. It created the housewives as we know it. Then we got Nini in Atlanta, and she brought it with the drama. And of course, Teresa's uh, table flip in the first season of, of New Jersey. Epic housewives television. So I don't know why we can't say they all played their part in putting the housewives on the map. Because everybody has an opinion that it was one or the other. I really think it was a collaboration and they all played their role and they did it well. And maybe I'm a bit biased, but I do think Roni walked so the other cities could run. But anyway, that's enough about that. And besides, it's turtle time. All right, it's turtle time. So let's get into a quick overview of the episode. Jill, this episode, it's interesting. It's the first episode that I noticed where she is not a player in the majority of the scenes in the episode. We get a lot of Jill at Zarin Fabrics this episode because she is redoing her house, or I should say her New York City apartment. So we see her and Brad picking out fabrics, going up to the warehouse, going over storyboards for the redesign. But that's really all we get from Jill substance-wise. As I said, it's the first episode where she plays a minor role. But don't worry, they didn't leave her out totally because we see several references to her upcoming charity event. And she, of course, attends Luann's Hope Lodge charity event, but of course misses all the drama to her dismay. And we also see her at the Social Life magazine party where Bethany is the host. And as for Bethany, we see her star is rising. We follow her on a photo shoot for Social Life magazine, where she is eventually chosen as the Labor Day cover and the host of their event in the Hamptons. We see her lunch with Luann twice, but the first lunch was to discuss Luann's Hope Lodge charity event and her new book, whereas the second lunch is called by Bethany to discuss some off-color comments made by Luann. We also get to see some of her cooking skills when she's at the Hope Lodge event. And then we get to, of course, see her excitement as she hosts the Social Life magazine party in the Hamptons. As for Luann, she is really on her high horse this episode. We see her at lunch with Bethany, of course, discussing Hope Lodge and her book, Class with the Countess. And Bethany has some great points and suggestions for her regarding the book and the title. But Lou is not responsive. She is like, Bethany's got to get over the Countess thing. And then we get Luann at the Hope Lodge event, where she proceeds to act like a pretentious bitch to Ramona, and a fight ensues because Ramona calmly, but directly and to the point lets her know she's not having it. And during that fight, Luann gives us our first mention of Ramona's crazy eyes. I just have to point it out. And finally, Luann is asked to lunch by Bethany to discuss a shitty comment that Luann made about her cover. But of course, even her apology comes off condescending. And as for Ramona, we get a taste of her and Mario swimming in their beautiful Hamptons pool, which is really just used to throw shade at Alex and Simon. And then we also see Ramona take a tour of a museum with Kelly, which is Kelly's only scene this episode. And we really get to see a little bit about Ramona and how she operates. She really is prepared on top of it and very professional. And then we get the cat fight with Luann at Hope Lodge, which is just epic Ramona and Luann. And then we end with a great Ramona dance scene when she attends Bethany's Social Life magazine party. And as for Alex, she and Simon are embarking on a renovation of two floors of their Brooklyn townhouse. So we see them meet with an architect and Simon is, uh, he's just as pretentious as ever. It's just, it's, I can barely watch it. 
And then in a hilarious scene, we see them swimming in their backyard in a blow-up pool, a great contrast to Ramona and Mario's Hamptons house. And then finally, they're off to their Caribbean summer vacation. And then lastly, we have Kelly. As I said, we only get one scene with her this episode, and in it, she invites Ramona to the Richard Meyer Model Museum. And Kelly shows up. She, you know, she looks like a model. She's... She looks great, but Ramona clearly did her homework and schools Kelly's knowledge on the museum where Kelly should be the one having the knowledge. Kelly seems to know absolutely nothing and really prove that all she seems to want to do is talk about herself. And then we do also see her kind of the beginnings as Ramona talks about Jill's upcoming charity event. We see the beginnings of Kelly getting roped into that charity event. And of course, more to come on that. It sparks a lot of drama in future episodes. But with that, we should probably get to mentioning it all about season two, episode four, if you have nothing nice to say. Okay, let's jump right into mentioning it all. Well, no surprise, this episode opens up with Jill, and we see her at Zarin Fabrics. We actually get a lot of Zarin Fabrics publicity this episode. And I just can't help but think she's picking up on this whole product placement concept from Bethany, and she's realizing she needs to promote her business. It's free promotion. And she opens up by saying she either wants a facelift or a redo of her house, a facelift for her house, which I think is so New York, because at this stage in the game, there's I looked at her face, I looked at her jawline, there's nothing that she would need a facelift about. But who knows, maybe it was also strategic to get Bobby to say, okay, then we're going to redo the house. Don't cut your face. We see she and Bobby, they're in Zarin Fabrics, and Brad is showing her the storyboards that he's come up with, and Jill is fighting him on everything. She doesn't like a thing he's done. And I hearken back to the previous episode where Jill and Bethany were talking about Brad as they were leaving, and Jill is clearly starting to realize that Brad rubs people the wrong way, and because she wants everyone to like her, she's about to ditch him. So she's picking a fight with everything. Everything he does, no, it's wrong. I don't like that fabric. Why are you choosing those colors? It's too gray. Which I found interesting because I ended up blaming Brad. We'll fast forward to the the final product. But I ended up blaming Brad for some of the more over-the-top things that Jill does in her house. But in watching this, had she gone with the more gray theme, I think her house would have been more toned down. So perhaps I wrongly blamed Brad in 2008 for this. Brad, I apologize. And we see in Jill's confessional, she says, I call Brad my gay husband, but sometimes I wish I could get a divorce because he drives me crazy. And so we see them, they're going up to the warehouse, they're looking at fabrics. She is just, she doesn't like anything that he picks out. She's fit to be tied from his opinions and just, of course, wants to get hers in. And we see in her voiceover that she thinks everyone should redo their house every seven years or so because your your style and your taste changes. And I thought this was a genius marketing campaign, which was a lost opportunity for Jill She should have made more of this. She is, you know, they run the fabric companies, just changing out your drapes or your bedding or your couch, having them recovered, it really can make a difference. And I thought she had a really great idea here, but she didn't push it far enough. She didn't hustle like Bethany did. And in addition to all of the picking she's doing on Brad, she of course throws in occasional dramatics of she's having a nervous breakdown. This is, this is coming too quick. They should have been doing this a month ago. Why is he bringing this to her with two days to make decisions? 
And we get an old school on the spot confessional of Brad where he's talking about Jill and he says, look, she deals with things by getting hysterical. I love her, but that's just how she behaves. And she was being a bit hysterical. It's a house redo. Deal with it. And then we cut to Alex and they continually do these juxtapositions of Alex and Simon and the other uh, housewives. So this one's great because re- remember, Alex and Simon are also redoing their house. They're going to be redoing two floors of their Brooklyn townhome. And so we open up on their townhouse and we see a nanny with a foreign accent, of course, opening the door. And I just couldn't help but think a few things. First, I was thinking of the nanny. I'm like, I bet Alex and Simon were the really wealthy and elite in, in New York City will have full-time nannies. Some will have multiple nannies for each kid. I, st- I couldn't help but think that I bet Alex and Simon are those kind who have those the foreign exchange student or the foreign nannies, the, the ones who they come just for the summer. You pay them like a thousand bucks and give them free room and board and they come and do, you know, come and act like as your nanny for the summer. So anyway, I just couldn't help but think of that. But then I also couldn't help but think of the pretension. I mean, come on, Simon. He has the nanny answer the door like she's the butler. To me, it was just he's trying to set off a tone. He's trying to put on airs right away with the architect. So the architect thinks, oh, they've just moved into this house and they've got a bunch of money. They're people who are on TV. They're somebodies because that's all that Simon seems to care about <laughs> is, is being perceived as, as such. So the nanny tells Simon that the architect has arrived. And then we get a confessional from Alex where she explains that they're doing a renovation on two whole floors of their house, top to bottom, inside and out. And we see them showing the architect the house. And the house is just, it's just a dump. It's old. It looks like it was done in the 80s and then never touched again. And you can tell as they're showing them through the house, Simon is trying to act like they've just moved in, but also saying we live here because we like to live here to test it out first. And then we get one of the most pretentious Simon confessionals, where he goes on to say that architects just simply hate him as a client because really they don't get to use their creative skills because he already has the vision, of course. And so according to him, they are merely a draftsman putting his ideas on paper. I mean, I just can't. And then there's this hilarious scene where they kind of have the architect cornered in like a small bathroom or a bedroom. I can't tell what it is. The house is so bizarre. Alex says, let me ask you, have you ever heard of somebody who just wants to get the renovation done and, and get it done quickly and not move in and take your time and figure it out? And, he, and the architect says, yeah, I get that all the time. It's people who don't want to pay two mortgages, which I love because he's insinuating you shouldn't be living in these conditions. You know, any right, any person in their right mind would be moving in and redoing the house or redoing it before they even moved in. But anyway, they have him kind of cornered and they're going on and on justifying over and over about it's just so much smarter to move into the house first. You get to see how you live in it because they've changed their minds tons of times since they've lived there. And I think Simon finally has this realization that either, and this is me giving him more credit than he's probably deserving in this moment, that they've kind of, they've cornered this architect in this small little area and he's probably feeling like, uh, all right, we're done with this. Or perhaps Simon realizes they're sitting in a really unattractive area of the house too and wants to get out. Or perhaps it's a combination of both. But Simon just kind of abruptly as as Alex is talking says, okay, let's get out of here. And she's like, okay. She just takes his order. They they move and they they go outside. It's just a bit abrupt and it sounds like he's shouting orders. So we get another confessional from Simon and he explains to us that they are going to spend about $200,000 on this renovation and it should take about three months. 
And of course, they're going to on their Caribbean summer holiday. Of course, they're not going for three months, but they're hoping that the majority of the work will be done when they get back. And I also couldn't help but think, really, though? I mean, what are you going for several months or just a couple of weeks? It's not like they're super wealthy. So I'd be interested to know how long they went on this Caribbean holiday. And then in just a brilliant turn by by editing and production, they cut to the architect sitting down with the two of them, and he starts using his own creativity. And of course, he's giving them his direction that he would go and showing them his storyboards, blueprints, etc. It's just in direct contradiction to Simon acting like he was going to create these plans. Because of course, the architect has great ideas. They're loving it. And then we get... Creepy Simon sighting number like 9 million at this point. He's stroking Alex's arm over and over again as the architect is going over his plans going, you're making Alex very happy. It's just weird. And then in a moment that I totally related with Alex, she goes on to explain to the architect that they would really love to have a wall of a bookshelf where their sons could just go pick up a book, grab one to read. And we see her say that they actually read. So they this is something that they want. And I'm with her on this point. A proper library is something I have always dreamed about having in my house. And one day I will. I will. I have bookshelves filled with books, but I would love a proper library. You know, the ones with like the 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 stairs that are on the rolling track or whatever. I don't know. Dreams can come true. We'll get there. And then, of course, Simon jumps in. He just can't let it go. And he says, well, luckily, all of our boys love to read. And it's just it comes off so pretentious and slimy. Ugh. And then I think the architect is picking up on on hit the airs that he's putting off because he says, let me guess, you didn't buy them a PlayStation 3, old tech alert. And of course, Simon and Alex are like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And we end the scene with Alex saying she's just freaked out by the fact that they have two TVs. <laughs> so then we cut to Bethany. She arrives at the Social Life magazine estate, which remember, we've seen a, the ladies have attended a party at in previous episodes. We've seen this estate before. It's beautiful. It's in Watermelon, the Hamptons, and Bethany's arriving for a photo shoot for the magazine. And as I said, Bethany is just starting to take off. We really see it in this episode. She goes from having a photo shoot to becoming the cover model, although I know she says she's a no model by any stretch of the imagination, but she becomes the cover model of the magazine for Labor Day weekend, which is a big deal, and even hosts the party. We meet Devorah Rose, the editor-in-chief of Social Life magazine, who I have to say reminds me of, and you have to go back in time, remember this is 2008, but she reminds me of Paris Hilton. She's very thin, very blonde, talks like a valley girl. And so she greets Bethany at the estate and they're going over outfits for the photo shoot. And we hear Devorah saying things like, I only brought the hottest stuff for you. And then we have an on-the-spot confessional with Devorah, and she says, if you're not in the magazine, then I feel sorry for you. I'm sure you get why I feel like she's very Paris Hilton-esque. Devorah goes on to explain that she met Bethany at the Rose Bar, and I couldn't figure out if this is the Topping Rose, the bar at the Topping Rose where the ladies go. It's a popular spot in the Hamptons. But she says they met at the Rose Bar. uh, Bethany was dancing on a table. And Devorah says, I immediately hated her because she was getting so much attention. So, of course, I had to go over and talk to her. And she says, Bethany's a power girl. And we see them. They're trying on clothes for the fashion show, for the fashion shoot. And Devorah says, oh, you're definitely a zero. I know a zero from across the room and you're a zero. So we see Bethany, several looks. We, we follow her on her photo shoot. She looks great. And we see Bethany mentioning that this was a huge honor for her. And she felt really special. 
And then we cut to a confessional of Bethany's, which is shot later on in the season. And I couldn't help but wonder if this was a foreshadowing of things to come with Jill, because Bethany is saying, yeah, you can tell they asked her a question. And she says, yeah, I can see how someone would be envious with the amount of press that I'm getting. Who knows? Maybe it's just a coincidence, but I couldn't help but wonder if they're foreshadowing to next season. And we see her in the this beautiful pink floral, almost like crocheted dress. I believe it was Zhang Toy who designed it. I'll correct myself. I think we see it in, in a future episode. And it's the dress that makes the cover. And we see her getting photographed in it. And she says, oh, my gosh, it's so beautiful. It's like a piece of art. And then she catches herself and she says, oh, my God, I stop me. Kill me now. I sound like Alex and Simon. This dress is a piece of art. And we see in her confessional, she can't believe all of the things that are happening for her and all the opportunities she's being given. And as she says, she's thrilled. So the photo shoot, we see several other looks. She looks great. And we close with her saying, it's a wrap. And then we cut to Ramona's Hamptons house. It's, as I've always said, it's so beautiful. Her backyard is stunning. It looks something, it looks like something out of a magazine. Mario's swimming on the pool. Ramona's coming out in her bikini because she has a fantastic figure with their two drinks. We see them swimming around the, the in the pool. Then they're laying by the pool on their lounge chairs. We hear Ramona explain that they love their pool in their backyard at the Hamptons, which who wouldn't? So we see Ramona and Mario poolside. They cheers. And it's very sweet. They're very loving with each other. And they're talking about how lucky they are and just having a wonderful day in the summer. And then in one of the shadiest moves by production and editing, we immediately cut to Alex and Simon in a 10-foot blow-up pool in their Brooklyn backyard. It is so iconic. And we see Alex in her confessional saying the Hamptons are great for what they are, which is, you know, to visit for a couple of days. And so we see them playing in this blue blow-up pool in their backyard, which also does not look like it's very well kept. And Alex, I will say this, she's explaining that it's a step up from a lot of the people who live in New York City apartments. They don't have backyards, they don't have pools, which is true. But the wealthy, I'm sure, have a community pool in their building or at the very least have a house in the Hamptons where they could go swimming. And it's one of those moments where I felt like, just be real and say that you'd rather be in Ramona's pool in the Hamptons because there is not a person who is not a lunatic who would not say, I would I would rather be swimming with Ramona and Mario in that beautiful house in the Hamptons than in some crappy backyard in a 10-foot blow-up pool in Brooklyn. So then we cut to Loanne. She is going to lunch with Bethany, and they're going to talk about her upcoming charity event. It's an event that she does every year, she says, for Hope Lodge, which is a home for those going through cancer treatment in New York City. It gives them a place to stay if their doctors are out there. And she explains that they are going to be making dinner for the residents. And Bethany thinks it's a great idea. And we see them, they're having lunch. And Bethany says, oh, it's for the cancer, um, those going through cancer treatment, I should make an antioxidant dinner, which I think not only showed Bethany's intelligence as a chef, but also just her creativity and reasons why she's a good business developer and owner and marketer. Luann goes on to explain that Jill is also going to come, but she's going to talk. She's going to give a talk because that's what she does best. And Bethany says, true, Jill could talk the hind legs off of a donkey. All you have to do is just give her a vein. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she says Luann didn't even actually ask them first about whether they would volunteer their time for Hope Lodge. She instead just simply offered up all of their services. But of course, Bethany is more than happy to help. But I think with this gaining popularity, Bethany is starting to feel a little more comfortable in calling out Luann for all of this bullshit. They then pivot and they start discussing Luann's book, Class with the Countess. 
And Luann explains that, you know, she's written articles before and the Count says that she's a great writer and she's very excited, of course, for the book to be coming out. And she straight up asks Bethany, do you like the title? And we can see Bethany. She's trying to be kind. She's like, hmm, well, um, let's see. It's, it's, it's a double entendre. Is that where you're going? So Luann answers back. Yes, of course. It's a double entendre. Like says it in French. It's so obnoxious. It's like you're talking to Bethany on an American TV show in English. It's okay to say double entendre and not double entendre or whatever she said. It was so ridiculous. But she explains to Bethany it's a book on manners and etiquette. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she simply says, look, I don't know what being a countess has to do with having manners. Does Luann actually think she's better than other people because she has a title? Boom. And to show one of the reasons why we love Bethany, she doesn't just say it in her confessional. She says it to Luann. She says, look, I'm, I'm iffy on, on the name and I'm really big on names. And she gets right to it. She says, look, is your premise that you have more class because you have a title? And then Bethany goes in with the truth and says, because, you know, you grew up in Connecticut just like everyone else did. You didn't grow up in palaces as a princess. And Luann definitely tries to, to, to backtrack and say, no, no, this is really more about my experiences. And Luann says, look, I'm just an American Indian from Connecticut. So, you know, I'm not trying to act like I grew up in a palace. And Bethany says, yeah, exactly. If your name was Luann Lipschwitz, you wouldn't be writing a book about class with the Countess. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she says, marrying someone with a title does not give you class. And even worse for Luann, holding yourself out as the authority on manners and etiquette is a really high standard to set. And you're really just setting yourself up to fail. And as Bethany says, that's a glass house just waiting to shatter. But we end with Luann's confessional where she says, Bethany doesn't get the reason why there's Countess in the title of her book. And she's like, duh, Bethany, because I am a Countess. She says, Bethany has a hard time grasping that, but she really needs to get over the Countess thing. We open back up with Kelly. This is her one and only scene of the episode. She meets Ramona at the Richard Meyer Model Museum in Long Island City. And remember, Ramona's a really petite lady and Kelly is a very large, tall Amazon model. So Ramona walks in. She's in, he- in heels, but Kelly still is towering over her. And we see Ramona's confessional. She says, Kelly is very tall. She's very tall, that Kelly. She says, her shoulders are actually broader than my husband's. And as they go through the museum, we see that Ramona really knows her stuff. She researched Richard Meyer. She knows the, the architectural projects that are displayed. We see her say, oh, yeah, I remember him. I remember his dishes in Bloomingdale's. She has life experience. And don't forget, she went to FIT. And we see Ramona in her confessional saying Kelly was definitely ribbing her for knowing so much about the museum and the topics there. But Ramona says, I'm actually surprised she didn't know any of what I was saying. She's the one that set it up and she didn't know anything. And then Kelly, she's so it's like, get over yourself. She she says, oh, yeah, I'm the president of the fan club, but Ramona's the treasurer. It's like, "Mm, are you really the president, Kelly? You didn't know anything. But it gives Ramona a perfect segue because she says, speaking of president and treasurer, Jill is dragging her into this charity and she has experience. She was involved in the Junior League. And Kelly stops the conversation on a dime and says, did you know I was the youngest member of the Junior League in New York? Now, the Junior League is an organization of women committed to promoting volunteerism. They also develop the potential of women and, and believe in improving the communities that they're that they're in. But of course, it's completely off topic and doesn't really have much to do with anything. So Ramona's like, okay, and she pivots, she pivots back. 
And she says, you know, she wants to put this together in eight weeks, and I'm kind of panicking, and I don't think we can do it. And Kelly, kind of in like robotic mode, she goes into, oh, you're going to do great. You'll be great. You'll you'll be able to do it if you put your mind to it. And we see Ramona say, no, Kelly, you're supposed to tell me there's no way in hell we're going to be able to do this. You're not giving me the right answers here. <laughs> and we fade to black. We open back up at Bethany's publicist in the Flatiron District in New York City. It's Flying Television is the company. They are a talent booking agency. And as Bethany explains, Devora called the editor-in-chief of Social Life magazine and wants to drop by, which she says is odd. And we also see Bethany explaining in her confessional that Devora is very much like, hi, kitten, very dramatic. And so Devora arrives, she shows up and she says, look, I've got the pictures from the shoot. And everyone's really excited. She's pulling them out. And Devora surprises Bethany with, we've decided that we want you to be on the cover. Bethany, of course, is thrilled. She can't believe it. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she explains that this is the Labor Day weekend magazine. Social Life magazine only comes out every other week. And this is a big deal. And then Devorah goes on to explain to her that she's also going to host their party in the Hamptons because she's on the cover. And we see Bethany say, am I there yet? Am I at the place where people are putting me on the cover of a magazine? I just love that moment because obviously now she's a millionaire. She sold her company. She's famous. But I just love that little moment of her having a moment of realization that is starting to happen. And it was at this moment in the episode that I went, hmm, it's interesting. We're four episodes in and we're still filming a lot in the Hamptons. And then Bethany's comment, though, about this this magazine coming out on Labor Day weekend made me realize it's still only late August, early September. And so they weren't spending extra time in the Hamptons. This isn't October, November in the Hamptons. There just was a lot going on and they were able to capitalize on it for the episodes. So we end that scene with Bethany thrilled that she's going to be on the cover. And we open back up with Ramona. And she's going to Mario's office, his business. And again, I couldn't help but thinking these ladies are getting smart. They're taking a page from Bethany's book and starting to promote their own businesses. Remember, Mario has a family business where they make um, kind of religious jewelry, medals, pendants, things for, you know, military uh, medals. So Ramona walks into Mario's office and she says, are you ready to work with me? And Mario's like, oh, I guess. And so we hear Ramona explain that Mario has a fourth generation business, which I could have sworn that previously she said it was a third generation business. But, you know, they've been really wanting to get Mario, I mean, Avery involved. So perhaps now they're counting her and calling it a fourth generation business. So we see them, they're going over new jewelry designs. And I couldn't help but think Mario can handle her because Ramona's very bossy. She's very picky. She knows what she wants. But Mario definitely interjects a little bit of humor. And we even see Ramona say in her confessional, she definitely drives her husband a little bit crazy, but they he loves her. And then in a good business move, we see Ramona. She says, look, I love this bracelet and it's got the religious cross on it, which is great. But she says, let's open up the market and also add like a fleur-de-lis and have some other little trinkets so we can promote a non-secular type of jewelry as well. Smart, opening up your market. And then we see her mention to Mario, Jill is having a charity event and they should really um, donate a few pieces to, to the event for the silent auction, which of course they're going to do. So at the end, we see Ramona say, don't you have fun doing this with me, Mario? And Mario's like, oh, sure, honey. <laughs> so now it's time for Luann's Hope Lodge charity event where they're going to be cooking dinner for some um, those of going through cancer treatment. And Bethany and Luann arrive. Bethany explains that she's going to be on the cover. To, um, to Luann of the magazine. And Luann, in such a bitch move, her first response is to turn around and ask, 
Well, are they doing retouching? I hope so. So in Bethany's confessional, she explains, that's not something that you would say to a friend. It's a really catty remark. And she says, it didn't get lost on me, but I didn't feel the need to bring it up at the Hope Lodge. So Ramona then arrives and we see she's talking to Bethany and she says, when you come over on Saturday, I have a friend that I would like to introduce you to. And so Bethany says, "Okay, well, where is he on a scale of like 19 to 90? And Ramona says, he's young, he's young. And Bethany's like, well, what is he, like 35 to 45? Ramona's like, yeah, he's probably 35 to 45. Bethany says, okay, well, does he have kids or was he married? And Ramona's like, oh my gosh, he's just a friend. He's not someone for you to hook up with. So just go into it. Don't worry about it. Just go into it and have fun. And Bethany's like, so he's not a love interest? Like, what are you under the impression that I don't have any friends? And they kind of laugh. It's pretty, it's pretty funny. And I spied that Bethany is wearing that circle engraved Leah Sophia initials necklace again. So then we see Bethany explaining to Luann that Ramona has these rules, the ones that she wrote about years ago that she showed Bethany in the magazines. And she says one of the rules was to get a guy's card and call him instead of sitting around and waiting for him to call you. And Bethany says, I've never called a guy in my entire life, but I actually kind of like that rule. I don't think I'd be able to do it, but I really like the empowerment of it all. And Luann says, oh, goodness. Well, that's it's not the way I operate. But clearly, Ramona and I operate differently. And she walks away kind of laughing. Oh, it's so rude. And so Bethany goes on and she says, yeah, another one is just to go out and date and date and date. Don't get serious with anybody. Just, you know, see what's out there. And Luann sees this as another opportunity to take a jab at Ramona. And she says, oh, well, no, I, I think that is grounds for a bad reputation in my circles. And you can see Bethany, she's chopping up some vegetables and walking around getting stuff prepared. But her, the look on her face was like, oh, no, she didn't. And I also noticed Victoria, um, Luann's daughter, has now arrived. So I think Ramona or Luann is also putting on airs because her daughter is there. And so Ramona, I think she's like, OK, I can't take it anymore. She turns around and says, what exactly are you saying is going to give you a bad reputation? And Luann says, oh, well, you know, darling, being seen out all the time with a bunch of different men, don't you think? And Ramona's like, no. And first of all, I'm not saying sleep with these men. I'm saying just go out and have fun and be seen. And Ramona says, second of all, I did that and it made me a total man magnet. And Luann, she just can't stop. She goes, well, I have my way of doing things and you have yours. And Ramona says, yeah, you got married at 22, really young, to a man like twice your age. And of course, Luann is totally insulted. Her daughter's sitting there. She says, he is not twice my age, Ramona. And Ramona's like, well, isn't he like 65? And Luann's like, 65? Oh my God, Ramona, don't be rude. And so I couldn't help myself, but I did the math. And you guys, of course he was not 65. He was fucking 59. I mean, Luann, really? Come on. Anyway. And so Ramona, she's very apologetic, but in a, in a, I'm sorry, you, you did get married when you were young and you got married to an older man. I don't mean any offense by it, but that's the truth. To which Luann, I don't know why she decides that this is the hill she's going to die on, but she decides to go on and on about how her husband is 15 years, years older than her. You call that an older man? And Ramona's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, uh, yeah, me too. And I love it. Ramona looks, she always looks so uncomfortable when it comes to confrontation. She doesn't like it. She doesn't. And I know people would disagree with that. But she also growing up in an abusive household with an abusive dad, she is not afraid to meet it head on. So Luann, who is just absolutely appalled at what is going on, says, you know what? Your eyes are like this for a reason, Ramona. And she makes this bulging gesture. And she tells Ramona she's out of her mind. 
And she says, I'm sorry, you were young when you got married. What were you like, 22? And she's like, I was 27 and he was 42. And Ramona's like, right, that's a big age difference. I'm sorry, but it is. And then, of course, Luann continues to feign disgust. She's like, you think Alex is an old man? That is unbelievable, Ramona. Please, you are so rude. And then Ramona takes a little underhanded dig and say, I don't know, maybe it's just because Mario looks so young. Boom. Which that, of course, enrages Luann. And she says, look, I hate to break it to you, but Mario's not the youngest looking guy either. And Luann does catch herself. She's like, look, he is handsome, but he's not the hottest guy ever. And Ramona's like, I didn't say he's the hottest guy ever. And then, of course, Luann has to also use this as an opportunity to promote her book and says, good Lord, Ramona, you don't even have any manners. And she's going on about manners. And then we see Ramona. She's just quietly sitting there making a salad, cutting up some lettuce. And she's like, I'm sorry. I I say it like I see it. So Luann and Bethany eventually walk off. We see Luann. She's like, this is totally inappropriate. I feel like kicking Ramona out. And then we see Bethany's confessional. She says, the particular combination of Luann acting holier than thou to Ramona and Ramona just trying to give some of her advice was just a bad combo. She says Luann passively aggressively slapped Ramona and Ramona slapped her right back. So Luann eventually comes back. And of course, she demands an apology, which... Bethany hadn't quite yet termed the phrase the apologizer for Ramona, but we do see her immediately apologize. But Luann just won't stop. In Ramona's confessional, she says, look, I don't think I said anything wrong, but she wanted an apology and I was happy to give it to her. And Luann, the narcissism, she's like, it was my evening and she managed to ruin it. You were making dinner for cancer patients and it was your evening. I really think she saw this as a way for her to look very countess-like and charitable. So then we see them say Jill is on her way and Luann, because she just can't quit. She's like a freaking dog with a bone. She says, oh, good. Well, Bethany, then you can tell her what a bad girl Ramona was. And Bethany just is like, oh, she would have been fun to have in on this moment. And we see Bethany's confessional. She says Jill missed the whole thing. And Jill lives for this kind of thing. This is going to kill her. And then we cut to some clips. We see Jill arrive. We see Ramona and uh, Bethany catching Jill up on everything that she missed. And then we have the dinner. And of course, Luann starts with, and as we say in French, bon appétit. And I couldn't help but think, we, Luann, you're not fucking French. But they put on a wonderful dinner. So then we cut to Alex's house. They are leaving for their Caribbean vacation and packing up not only for that vacation, but for their renovation. There's this scene which I just found so infuriating and another great example of how Simon controls Alex and gaslights her into thinking that he's super smart and she just is an idiot when it's totally the reverse. They're moving furniture downstairs. It looks like a twin bed frame, maybe one of their kids' beds. And she says, wait, because he kind of is walking quickly down the stairs. She's trailing. And he's like, what? She's like, I'm falling. And instead of saying, oh, I'm sorry, honey, catch yourself. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is, well, could you do me a favor? Could you not wear flip flops on stairs? You don't do that when you're moving. That's just a terrible idea. And starts lecturing her about the type of shoes that she was wearing. She wasn't tripping because of the types of sh- the type of shoes she was wearing. She was tripping because he was going too quickly down the stairs and going to pull her down the stairs. It really is a moment where I'm it, she does kind of respond like, yes, sir. And kind of she she picks up. But it just I did not like it. And then Simon, he's like, I'm sweating like a pig. And she's like, I can see that. And he says, darling, you're meant to say, no, you're not a pig. And it's like, you didn't you said you're sweating like a pig. Why would your wife turn around and say you're not a pig? He is just oh, my God, this poor woman. 
But anyway, we see they finish up packing and finally they are off to their Caribbean vacation. So we cut to Bethany. She's at a restaurant called Tuto in the Hamptons. She has asked for a lunch with Luann because she is upset with Luann making that comment about, are they going to retouch the cover? I hope so. She's wearing that Leo Sophia necklace again. I don't know why. I just, it catches my eye. It's probably because I have it, but I can't help but notice when she's wearing it. So they meet for lunch. The Countess arrives. They sit down and Bethany says, look, I want to talk to you about a comment you made that really upset me because you may have well have said you're ugly and you need some help. <laughs> Luann, of course, tries to backtrack. Oh, no, I would have. Oh, I didn't mean anything. That's not the first thing I said. It's just unbelievable. The inability to just say, shit, I'm sorry about that. So Luann, of course, goes on. Oh, it wasn't meant to be in a mean way, my sweet. So she's it's so condescending. My sweet. You just know this woman like what? And she's your whatever. So, of course, she doesn't apologize meaningfully at all. And we see in Luann's confessional, not only does she not apologize, but she's shocked that Bethany took it that way. Because, of course, you know, she's just giving her advice as a former model. And then, of course, because Luann, as usual, can't stop herself. She says, look, I think you're really just being overly sensitive. And we see in Bethany's confessional, she's like, look, I'm really not that girl. I don't pick every battle. I don't get overly upset. But I'm not buying this shit. Luann continues to try to say, I was just protecting you. And Bethany's like, that's bullshit. Bethany's like, it was a side dig and it was noted, but it was, it's the underlying reason that you feel the need to make that dig that really bothers me. You can tell Bethany doesn't understand it. And then we see in Luann's confessional, she is now the victim in her mind. And she says she was, Bethany was like a dog with a bone and she was attacking her and just wouldn't stop. It was like, wow, Luann, that is one hell of a spin job. And Bethany explains in her confessional that she wasn't really buying it. It wasn't a big deal, but it didn't go unnoticed in her mind. So then we cut to the final scene, which is the Social Life magazine party, where Bethany is on the cover. We see Bethany. She's on the step and repeat. She's in a really cute pink cocktail dress. Frankie, la officiale, her hairdresser, is one of her guests. She arrives. We see her show up with Jill, and Jill's like, where have you been? Everyone is asking for you. (laughs) And then we see Devorah, the editor-in-chief of the magazine, and she has a cameraman, and she's going around interviewing the guests. And she starts to interview Luann and she says, so I understand there was a bit of an airbrush scandal. And Luann looks shocked. And we see in her confessional that she couldn't believe Bethany would have talked to the editor in chief about that. So we also get great shots of the party. And then there's a hilarious scene of Ramona standing by herself and she's just doing her thing, dancing like Ramona always does all by herself. Then we see her. She walks up and says hello to the ladies, Jill, Luann and Bethany. Then we see them and their husbands. They all go to clearly what's like a VIP tent at the party. Devorah brings over the alcohol. They're like, let's get the party started. And then Luann, in a really awkward moment, wants to give a toast. So she gives a toast and then leaves early. And we see the ladies talk about the retouching incident and what Luann said to Bethany and how she was hurt. And the episode ends with Ramona saying, well, you know what? I'm happy for you and I'm not jealous. Well, that's it for this episode, but join us next week as we break down Roni's Season 2, Episode 5, New York State of Mind. And as always, please follow and like us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Deep Fix Podcast. And subscribe and listen to us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spotify, and most places where you get your podcasts. Until then, see y'all next time.